That's a hockey, you know, it's only, it's only game. Young men expressing themselves for joy. Why do you have to be mad? These guys are jerks. It's only game. It's a cheap game. It's only game. Why do you have to be mad? Hello, Kakupful fans, and welcome to episode 6 of the 2021 season of Mark Callan's Keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League Stat Attack podcast, presented by JNSoftware.ca, powered by Kevin E. Bear. I'm your host, John Newhold. Thank you for joining us. Last week in the Kakupful, half the teams won and the other half lost. Let's find out why. On today's show, will Tier 1 finally lose its only remaining undefeated team? Plus, will 14th place Dave Benton's big trade moves from two weeks ago pay off in his matchup against Lewis? And will Lewis have made a deal that he'll come to regret? Also, Mark interviews Tier 1's Dustin. And included in all the player and manager stats this week is a highlighted matchup that includes a manager who's had four goalies on his team. At the same time! First, our Tier 1 update and the chase for the ultimate prize in fantasy hockey. Dustin and his team Primo Pasta were finally dethroned this week with a loss to Tom Crowhurst's epic kneel time. Mark's win over Elon, combined with his higher overall points so far this season, have vaulted this podcast's Mark Callanan into first place at 6-1. Another manager looking to get to 6-1 this week was Lewis, who faced up against Dave Benton's 14th place team, Boys Tamantha. Lewis went into Sunday with a 23-point lead over Dave and a games-to-play advantage of 10-7. But weak performances from Boquist, James Van Riemsdyk, and Sam Reinhardt left him vulnerable. Meanwhile, big games from Palat, Malkin, and Samsonov closed the gap, and going into the last game in Calgary gave Dave the lead by just .3. What made those performances even more painful for Lewis was that before the week began, Lewis had traded both Malkin and Palat to Dave for Couturier and Binnington. Lewis would gain 28.95 points from his two players during the week, while Dave would get 52 points from Palat and Malkin. Gotta think Dave feels he's the early winner of that trade. The math was still on Lewis's side, though, as he had both Rasmus Anderson and Josh Norris to play, with just Monaghan to reply for Dave. Once again, we wound up with a peripherals battle. Monaghan mustered three shots and a block, while Anderson and Norris combined for just two shots, three hits, and a block. Dave sat on the edge of his seat for the last 15 minutes of the game, hanging on by a 0.05-point lead. But in the end, neither Anderson nor Norris could pull things back for Lewis, who now falls into third at 5-2. Elon, Jordan, Jeff, and Ben sit tied for fourth at 4-3. But with last place now a five-way tie at 2-5, anyone can still make the playoffs. In Tier 1 trade news, Tier 1 traded their old logo for a fancy new one made by Edward. Make sure to go to the standings page on kakupful.com to see it in all its glory. Tom Crowhurst has put he of many suspensions Tom Wilson on the block on Discord. So far, the responses include two no-entry signs and Lewis trolling him with the number seven. And Dave Benton still offering up Kevin Lankinen for, quote, pennies on the dollar. No takers. Mark's guest interview today is with Dustin, who at the time of the interview was still in first place, but could already feel Mark hot on his tail. Get this long-time cuckupful participant and multi-year Tier 1 manager's take on everything fantasy. Over to you, Mark. 
This week's guest on the Cupful Stat Attack podcast is Dustin Au. Dustin is the manager of Primo Pasta, who are currently the number one team in the number one division. That's Tier 1 Sweden. Dustin, you are very welcome to the show. Mark, happy to be here and uh, happy to be talking with a worthy adversary here in Tier 1. Yeah, so I guess if people don't know, we are currently uh, battling it out for the top spot. Uh, myself and yourself are number one and two and and have been battling for quite a bit this season. We haven't actually played each other yet, but uh, that's upcoming. So I look forward to uh, to battling with you in, in the next few weeks. That'll be a big one. Looking forward to it. Now, Dustin, I, I can tell by your accent that you are not from London, but you're currently based in London. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yeah, I made the big move. Uh you know, five or six months ago, it was an interesting time to decide to move country. Uh, but it's been a great experience so far, uh, lockdown notwithstanding. Yeah, it's uh, it's good to have somebody to record a podcast with in my own time zone. I think you're the first person in, in uh, GMT. Uh, so that's a welcome change for me. I know, right? Uh, where are you from, Dustin? What's your so what's your background? I'm from Canada, uh, originally from a, a smaller city called Kingston. Uh, in Ontario. Uh, but for the last seven or eight years, I've been in Toronto. That's where I've been since I've kind of embarked on the career stage of my life. Okay. And do you have an NHL team? Are you a Leafs fan? Yeah, a lot of people assume that. And there's a lot of Leafs fans from where I'm from and a lot of Habs fans. Uh, but I'm actually a, a diehard Ottawa Senators fan, as much as it's difficult to admit this, mm -hmm. uh, this time. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've been an Ottawa Senators fan since I started following hockey maybe 15 years ago. I probably should have noticed that. Um, I think your your team icon in Tier 1 in Sweden is the uh, the Senators logo, right? Yeah, I slightly edited uh, Ottawa Senators logo with just uh, dots for pupils, if you, <laughs> if you noticed that. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get into that much detail, no. Um, so you're a Sens fan uh, from Ontario, good. Um, are you more of a hockey fan or more of a fantasy hockey player? Which is more important to you? Uh, well, I mean, it's definitely started with the, the hockey fandom, for sure. I was big into the, the, the pizza line era of the Ottawa Senators when it was, you know, a good thing to brag about being an Ottawa Senators fan. Uh, that was always my mentality. I really only got into fantasy hockey uh, in the last six or seven years. Yes. Um, so first and foremost, it's got to be the team. Okay, okay. So Yahoo tells me that you've been playing fantasy um, on Yahoo at least since 2014. Is that roughly when you started playing or did you have any experience elsewhere before that? I suppose so. If that's what it says, then I, I suppose <laughs> that's right. Uh, yeah, I would say that it's been about six or seven years. Okay, and what type of a person would you say you are? Are you kind of a, a strategic person in, in everyday life? Are you into kind of strategy games or what's your personality type? And do you feel that that suits maybe fantasy sports? Uh, yeah, maybe a little bit into strategy games, not a tremendous amount, but I'm definitely like a, a very analytical type person. Uh, by profession, I'm an accountant and I'm a former auditor. So part of my role was to be uh, professionally skeptical and really dig into the minutia of data and, and things like that. So I probably bring that angle into my fantasy hockey analysis. You know, I spend a tremendous amount of time just agonizing over my rosters and my pickups. So, uh, you know, that's a reflection of other elements of my life professionally and otherwise. 
very good. Well, whatever you're doing, it seems to be working. Um, obviously, you're you're in top spot in the top division. There's probably a bit of a target on your back at this stage. Um, I certainly have a target on your back, and I have done since since very early on in the season. So, um, whatever you're doing, it's, it's definitely working. And Dustin, do you have maybe an all-time favorite hockey player? And as well as that, do you have an all-time favorite fantasy hockey player? Maybe. Mm, yeah. Well, I mean, I've got to go with my man Eric Carlson for the uh, for the favorite player. Uh, I was always a big fan of his just as a fan of the team in Ottawa. Uh, I named my dog after him. His name is Carlson. I got a, this French bulldog right next to me right now. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think probably some other former sense might uh, round out my top five, but it's always going to be Eric Carlson for me. Uh, favorite fantasy hockey player. That's an interesting question. I, it's probably whoever is doing the best for me in a given week, to be, to be frank with you, Mark. Okay, and who's your favorite player at this moment in time? <laughs> None of them, because I'm losing. <laughs> uh, they all suck. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Pasta's been huge for me this year. Obviously, he's he's come clutch with some hat tricks and some big games, uh, seemingly every game. So uh, had to give him the naming rights for my team. Yeah, so primo Pasta. Um, you don't need to dig too too far into that one to to figure out what it's about. Um, how long, Dustin, have you been in the Cupful? Do you remember? Uh, this has got to be my fifth year. I started in tier six and then I jumped all the way up to tier two in one year. Um, and then I've been in tier one for three years now. Very good. And do you remember how you first came across keeping Carlson on the Kukupu? Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I was actually traveling, uh, would have been 2016. I was doing a trip through Italy with a, a short detour to Stockholm. And at this point of the trip, uh, I was in Venice and we happened to have an Airbnb that had no internet and there were no cafes or anything with any kind of Wi-Fi or service nearby. So I had to deal with kind of conventional forms of entertainment for the evenings uh, when I didn't have any other alternatives. So I had pre-downloaded some podcasts and I was just flipping through and I found something for fantasy hockey and I downloaded it without thinking about it. Had Carlson in the name, so I figured this. <laughs> is worth giving it a shot. And I've been uh, pretty hooked ever since. It was meant to be. The Carlson, the Carlson element hooked you in. Yep, absolutely. Um, have you found, or what have you found is the biggest difference between the Cupful and maybe any other leagues that you've played in, in terms of uh, the format or, or the, the general play? Uh, I mean, I mean, the competition is second to none. I'm in, I'm in a number of other leagues that are more casual, usually with my friends from work or from from back in uni or something like that. And it's all very kind of laissez-faire, right? I'll probably uh, match the the field in terms of pickups on the uh, on the entire year. So the fact that I can go into something like a couple and anytime I've got my eye on a primo streamer or a juicy little pickup, chances are he's going to be gone. Yeah, I noticed. I noticed this week, um, just with uh, Shesterkin getting injured. Um, so I woke up the next morning. Obviously, we're both based in in GMT in in Europe, so uh, things work a little bit differently over here. But I noticed that uh, as soon as Shesterkin got injured, you know, everybody was was or well, I think it was was a Ben ended up getting him. But the next morning, Georgiev was was picked up. Um, you you just can't sleep. You can't wait a day. You have to be right on the pulse in, in this league. Yeah, no question. Yeah, I find that as well. And it becomes a little bit more difficult depending on my schedule to actually uh, meet that 3 p.m. Eastern time waiver wire pickup time. 
Yeah. So have you found any advantages or disadvantages to being a cup, a cupful player based in Europe? Uh, I mean, I think I can, I can manage it. It's probably a net disadvantage to be frank with you. I, uh, I still work Canadian hours. I work for a company in Toronto, so I am not very likely to be awake before 8am. And I like to see the results of the previous night's games before I lock in my, my pickups for the coming week and things like that. So it becomes a little bit more difficult. Probably the biggest disadvantage is just not being able to watch many of the games. Yes. Right. Yeah. Especially the later games, the the West Coast uh, North American games are are nearly impossible to watch. Uh, which, you know, that was a kind of a feature of my overall strategy. The eye test makes a big difference to me. Absolutely, I totally agree. And uh, when it comes to say sit start decisions, when there's a game happening at three half three in the morning, um, it just makes it next to impossible to manage that unless you're you know staying up till crazy hours of the night. Which does yeah. tend to happen from from time to time as well for me anyway. Absolutely. Uh, so let's have a look at your cupful season so far. Um, as I mentioned, you're currently in first place in tier one. You're unbeaten this season, so you're six zero and zero in the top division. And what mo- most people in the league will probably say it's the most difficult fantasy league in the world. What do you put your success so far this season down to? Uh, that would be luck, Mark. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I think the squad has done well. I think I drafted well, and my uh, my pickup strategy has done well. But you look at output of the team, and there's a big pack right at the top. And I'm not even at the top of that pack in terms of um, fantasy point output. So uh, I've been fortunate enough to be matched up against other teams that had down weeks or maybe were disproportionately impacted by the uh, the delayed games due to COVID or injuries or things like that. I mean, I'm 6-0-0, but two of those weeks I won by fewer than two points. So that'll give you some perspective. It very easily could be 4-2 and two, uh, or potentially uh, even worse than that. Yeah, now having said that, luck does play a huge part, but I still see, I'm just looking at the stat attack Excel file that I put together here, and your expected win percentage is still pretty high, like it's the second highest in the division. So uh, at 0.718, um, just behind Elan, who has the highest expected wins, just based on, on schedule, so the number of teams you would have beaten on a on an average week, I guess. Um, so there's definitely, you might be being a little bit modest there in terms of how well you've done. Um, can you tell us, so one of the things I've asked uh, all of my Tier 1 guests so far this season about your prep work for the draft, specifically just around the auction draft and how you value players? Yeah, I mean, valuing players uh in an auction format is tremendously difficult and i've yet to really come across a methodology that i'm super satisfied with the last couple of years uh, that i've been involved in auction drafts i went super analytical right and i'm building out these forecasts and assigning values to players based on you know the the delta between the highest performing player of the position and things like that and ultimately i find that the draft day just uh position dynamics really makes or breaks it right if you happen to have a defenseman that goes you know ten dollars below what my expected output that's going to impact the valuation of all defensemen that follow him so this year i was a lot more flexible with respect to my valuations i really wanted to read the market Uh, i don't even know if that worked out well for me or not I, i remember coming away from the draft very apprehensive about the quality of my team 
but it ended up working out. I would say I think this is probably the best squad that I've fielded in the three years I've been in Tier 1. So, uh, you know, maybe over-preparing is something that can actually bite you in the end. Yeah, one thing that I noticed about your draft, um, and it's probably no great secret, but obviously your highest uh, your highest valuation or your, your highest uh, costing player, let's say, was, was David Pasternak, who at the time was... I know he was injured. He was scheduled to miss the first couple of weeks. There was there was talk at around the time of the draft that he was going to come back sooner. But was that a risk that you were obviously it's a risk you were okay with taking? But was that something that you kind of uh, deliberated over, or did you have a, a set value in mind for Pasternak? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I could get him for ten dollars below my valuation, then I was going to take him for sure. And I was definitely leaning towards taking him, just evaluating the quality of the competition in tier one. There's a lot of names that I know and a lot of guys that I know are successful in fantasy hockey. So I said, you know what, if I'm going to go for this, you might as well go big, right? Mm -hmm. So take the risk on Pasternak, hope that he comes back in two weeks and hope that you can maintain at least a one in one record in the two weeks that he's gone and, uh, and see how it goes. And if you can do that, then you're going to come out ahead for the remaining 10 weeks. And uh, luckily I've been, I was very fortunate to come out two and oh. Uh, for those first two weeks and have has to come back and start uh, throwing some pucks in the back of the net from that point forward. So it was a good gamble. Honestly, it, uh, it could have easily worked out the other way. But when you have a talent like Pasternak, uh, even in a very short season where every week means a lot, you know, it was worth it. Yeah, it didn't take him any time to, to adjust either when he came back. You know, there was no kind of settling in period. He came straight back with a bang. And so I would definitely say that that, that uh, risk and that strategy that you took um, paid off pretty quickly. Um, just for this season, uh, Dustin, obviously you mentioned there it's a shortened season. It's a unique season um, in that uh, it's all kind of within the divisions. Um, did you do anything different in your prep in terms of targeting maybe certain teams or certain divisions? Or did you just play it as a normal season in that sense? Yeah, I mean, I think the the wisdom coming into the draft, and I don't think it was a huge secret, a lot of people were targeting North Division players, right? Mm-hmm. I think predominantly that was because of the impact of higher scoring and probably uh, worse perceived defense in that division. And I think there's truth to that. Obviously, we've seen a lot of high scoring games cut out of that division, probably a, a an underappreciated impact of targeting the North division is simply the lack of postponed games. I don't forgive me if I'm wrong. I don't think there've been any postponed games in that division in Canada, No, uh, which has been a big part of the reason that probably my potential output in many other teams across the tier uh, is lower than realized because of, uh, you know, Dallas and Colorado and Florida missing a bunch of games. And, and some teams are impacted a lot worse than others. So yeah, that's something I kind of went the opposite way on. I, I didn't really pay any attention to, you know, talk of certain divisions being higher scoring. Um, and I went and, and drafted a few Dallas guys. Um, luckily enough, I was able to to adjust to having them out in the first couple of couple of weeks of the season, um, specifically Pavelski and Heiskanen. Um, but I definitely feel now that, you know, they've got quite a, quite a busy run in for the rest of the season. And I, I'm kind of worried about how that might go obviously having more games is better but um i'm just worried that you know their form might struggle having to play so many games it's just such a short space of time particularly the likes of the stars maybe the devils as well um who have you know a crazy amount of games in such a short space of time 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the right way to look at it. I've got, I've got a devil on my team, Palmieri, and I'm a little, a little worried with Hisher out and uh, the devil's not looking tremendously um, offensively other than Pavel Zaka somehow. Yeah. Uh, you know, I've got to, I've got to establish whether or not that's a hold for me. Yeah. And while we're talking about in-season strategy, would you say, uh, what's, sorry, what sort of a player would you say you are in terms of in-season strategy? Are you, are you patient or are you impulsive? You've already mentioned that you're quite analytical um, in, in your career, in your job, but um, is, does that transfer over? So you, you said you agonize over your picks. I guess you're probably more of an analytical, uh, patient player, maybe. Yeah, I think I've maxed out my roster moves every week so far. So that's definitely the kind of guy I am. I'm a big streamer. Uh, I'm always going to prefer, in generally, I'm going to prefer exposure and uh, lines and, and time on ice over actual raw talents. I'd rather take a guy who I can squeeze out an extra game, even if on paper or just the raw caliber of the player uh, isn't up to snuff. Uh, that's... I try to get the most games played out of my team. And I think other than Elon, um, I've got the most games played so far out of our tier, um, at least as of the last time I checked it. So, Yeah, and you've the most moves made. Uh, well, actually, I think you've been passed since I put this data together, but um, you, you're definitely right up near the top in tier one in terms of how many moves you've made. So I actually, what I did was put together a quick list just of, of guys you've streamed. Um, so I'm just going to read that out really quickly now. So, Evan Rodriguez, Nick Foligno, Jeff Skinner, Justin Falk, Connor Brown three times, uh, Frank Vetrano, Jesper Bratt, Tyler Johnson, Clayton Keller, Ryan Donato, Antti Ranta, Jake DeBrusque, JT Comfer, Eric Stahl, Niels Hoglander, Zidane Chara, Alex Kerfoot, Ricard Raquel, Zach Brise, Charlie Coyle, probably one or two more who I missed there. Um, but boys and girls, if you want to get to the top of tier one, that's what your, uh, your streaming past has to look like. Yeah, well, think about some of those names. Not a lot of talent on there. Not their typical line one guys other than maybe maybe Keller. <laughs> yeah. uh, out of that list, there's a lot of guys, especially you mentioned Connor Brown three times. I love that guy because <laughs> he gets 20 minutes a game. He's getting astounding time on ice for the guy who has maybe the most bland vanilla name in the league. <laughs> uh, but he gets exposure to top line minutes he gets second power play he's going to play with Brady Kachuk who's going to throw like 14 shots on that every game I think it's uh that's the kind of player that I love so you'll see um listening to that list a lot of those guys is the third guy on a very good line who's getting the exposure that might get him an accidental secondary assist which is really all I'm looking for yeah, so uh, Dustin, just before we started chatting on the podcast here, you did mention that you live beside a hospital, so nobody has to be concerned that there's a siren going off in the background. It's uh, it's part of your normal day at this stage. It is. It's the Dmitry uh, Filipovic uh, brand that I'm trying <laughs> to emulate here. <laughs> yeah, the PDO cast. Um, Dustin, can you tell me what your average week looks like in not just in the Kukupful, but in fantasy in general? So at what stage of the week do you start looking maybe at the following week? Do you tend to use one or two moves early in the week with the intention of saving one or two for the weekend? Or how does your Monday to Sunday look on an average week? I think it depends on, uh, it depends on a lot. It depends on how I'm doing that week. I would say in tier one, more so than not, I am using all my ads for the current week and not looking forward to the next week uh, until I've definitely gotten in the bag. Uh, I've had 
I've had a couple of weeks where I had a big lead going into the weekend. And, and even then I'm, I'm apprehensive about what could potentially happen if my players start to slump over the busy Saturday. Uh, so, so generally I'm not looking forward to the next week until Sunday, uh, at which point I like to use probably maybe two or three of my four ads on Sunday night. Uh, I'll just look forward to the week and I'll get it done and I'll maximize my roster the way that I like it. And then I can take a bit of a breather uh, going into the uh, back half of the week. Yeah, and that. So you mentioned earlier that you've uh, you've had a couple of narrow wins, and maybe your your points total isn't as high um, as it should be, or as it should look when you're top of tier one. But I guess that kind of gameplay side of things, and you know, never never looking too far ahead and trying to get your your wins in the bag, is probably part of the reason why you've been so successful this season you know you're it's a shortened season you're trying to get your your w's on the board early in the season um to get yourself that playoff space and uh you know everything else after that will happen but you can you can be happy with your with your record so far yeah i mean i'm, I'm very pleasantly surprised to be sitting at the top of the table six and oh right now uh i'm trying to emulate a little bit of humility here because i'm being stomped by uh last year's frequent status hack guest uh tom crowhurst or at least he featured on the the status hack to my recollection quite a lot last year and for good reason because uh he was uh doing much of the same last year so uh the soon to be six and one primo pasta team has got to stay humble while it can yeah absolutely and you know secretly i suppose or maybe not so secretly um you losing to tom this week will possibly help me and you know if I manage to get over Elan I might get that top spot next week so I'm not I'm not counting any chickens before they hatch but um you know it's it's all good fun and that's all I'm gonna say I'm I'm uh, I'm not hoping that you lose but it would benefit me if you did I I wouldn't knock you if you uh, did hope that I lose I would think that you should and I certainly <laughs> hope that you lose every week <laughs> um I don't know if you noticed, but, you know, this is a, a 12-week regular season. We've got 13 opponents, so it means that every team has one uh, opponent in Tier 1 that they will not face in the regular season. That uh, opponent, for me, is one of the lower-scoring teams. Everyone in, in Tier 1 is, uh, is, is fierce in terms of competition, and every week is losable. Um, but the one opponent is, is on the lower end of the fantasy point output. Uh, for you, that's Lewis who is in third place. And so I'm looking at this. I'm like, of course, I just realized this maybe four days ago. Uh, Of course, Mark and Lewis, who are my stiffest competition at the moment, (laughs) they get to avoid playing another top tier, tier one opponent. uh, As luck would have it. I hadn't actually even checked who, who my, you know, non-opponent is this season. I hadn't realized it was Lewis. That's, uh, that's got a good team. You're lucky to avoid them. Yeah, it's quite fortunate for me. So uh, thank you for pointing that out. Um, do you have, so with, with that in mind, do you have a target for the rest of the season, aside from, you know, hopefully in, in your eyes, remaining unbeaten and be, beating Tom this week and keeping that record? But do you have a number of wins that you would hope to get to maybe guarantee yourself a playoff space or is it just coming week by week? I mean, I've thought about that, but it's such a short season and there's such an incremental advantage to securing a buy heading into the playoffs, uh, you know, I'm going to be fighting and grasping for points all the way through week 12. Uh, I don't think there's any time I'm going to be able to be complacent and be happy and say, oh, you know what, I've, I've locked in a playoff spot. Uh, I've gotten a few trade offers along the lines of, hey, I mean, you're 6-0. and 
why don't you uh, start gearing up for the playoffs and give me some some help now for some help later? Uh, I'm not biting. <laughs> I uh, I realize I could go on a on a slide here, and I've got some some fierce competition with Lewis and and yourself in the next couple of weeks, and I could easily be six and three heading into week ten, and at that point, uh, you know, I'm definitely in danger of not making the the six team playoff pool. So. You know, I'm going to I'm going to keep fighting for sure. And uh, I'm not going to count my chickens before they're hatched. I, I do imagine that, you know, if I'm lucky enough to hit week 12 and I'm sitting, you know, let's say nine and two or something like that, uh, which is, you know, that would be a fantastic output from my perspective. Mm-hmm. Maybe at that point, I'll still gearing up for the playoffs, but it's it's far too soon in a 12 week regular season to be worried about that. Yeah, so you've actually kind of answered my last, uh, sorry, my last question. Um, my last question was really, have you thought about the playoffs yet or do you want to avoid tempting fate maybe by, by thinking about them? Um, so I'll kind of alter that question a little bit for you. Do you, at this stage of the season, so let's say we're roughly halfway through, um, are you looking at a team's schedule, maybe off-day games between now and the end of the season to inform your streamer picks or to inform your maybe trade decisions? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm always looking at that. You want to maximize your roster and and the number of off-day games is really going to play a feature uh, into that strategy. Uh, It's an interesting dynamic this year because the schedule keeps changing, which is something I haven't had to worry about in prior years. Um, Mm -hmm. We're starting to get to the point where any future postponed games are likely going to be after the end of the playoffs. And so it's it's possible that what we have is relatively uh, set, but... Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously those players have um, have a really big value. I remember last year, the the first or second round of the playoffs, uh, Colorado had a stream Agami last year, which uh, mm-hmm. for those who are listening and might not know, that's a that's a four day week all on off days: Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, usually. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was really targeting the the Landis Cogs and the Cadres of the world heading into those playoffs. Uh, trying to secure kind of better uh, roster composition for the the heavily contested couple tier one playoffs. Obviously never came to fruition because we never got to that point, but uh, it, it'll be much of the same strategy this year. Yeah, and while you mentioned uh, stream Agamis, I think there are a couple of them next week. I don't want to steal Dave Benton's thunder, but I think Arizona, maybe Minnesota, Colorado. I'm just looking at the schedule here. LA. We've got actually- enough thunder. Sorry? Dave's got enough thunder. He, uh, <laughs> he can afford to have some stolen. Yeah, yeah. Um, the, I, I look forward to listening to the, the stream scheme this week because it's nearly as though Stream Agami is the normal schedule next week. And there's so many teams who have that Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday um, uh, roster or schedule for, for the week. Um, just before I let you go, uh, I, I didn't have any more questions to ask you, but with bearing in mind what you just said around the, the schedule for the rest of the season and what you said earlier about the Canadian division um, and there not having been any uh, COVID postponed games. So if you, if you treat the North division as a more reliable or a more stable environment, would you accept a trade of Austin Matthews for David Pasternak right now? Ooh, that's a big one, huh? Uh, you know what? I, I would think about it for sure. I mean, I think um, I have been looking for some center help. I really only have Bergeron as a reliable 
centerpiece. And so I've been pitching to the group a lot um, on kind of getting some center health. And I've got a lot of people who are willing to uh, help me out with that. And I've always been heavy on right wings. I've got, I think, uh, I think I've got four right wing eligible players. So, you know, you look at those two guys, I mean, primo assets, probably Mm. in the same tier. I would have to think about it hard. Good stuff. Uh, Dustin, thanks very much for coming on. Um, all things considered, I do hope you win this week. Uh, sorry, Tom. Um, I, I do love seeing an unbeaten record going uh, far distant into the season. And I hope you can keep that going. But uh, selfishly, I kind of hope you lose as well. So thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. I hope to meet you in the, uh, the last round of the playoffs. And I hope to beat you by a single hit. <laughs> Thank you, Mark and Dustin. Before we get to the player and manager stats this week, a quick minute to shout out some of those that made this podcast possible. A big thanks goes to Kevin E. Bear for his hard work on the statistical views you'll find on cacupful.com. Make sure to give him much love on Discord for his hard work. Also a shout out to jnsoftware.ca. JN Software is a software and soft skills training and consulting company. It was started 19 years ago by... My wife, Joy, and since then has grown to have operations across Canada and North America. Thursday, March 11th, is our free webinar on OneNote. OneNote is more than just an electronic notebook. Keep track of your notes with tags, organize meeting notes, and keep tabs on all your tasks with advanced OneNote features. Join our free webinar and learn how to make the most of OneNote with these advanced OneNote techniques. Check out jnsoftware.ca and click on free webinars in the top right corner to register. Now back to the show. It's time for player analysis. The best fantasy performers from the last seven days are, in goal, Thatcher Demko's three wins last week gave him 35.25 points. On defense, Aaron Ekblad and Victor Hedman with 29.75 and 27.75 points respectively. At left wing, Max Pacioretty with 44 is the player of the week. And at right wing, Mark Stone with 35.75 completed the Vegas winger sweep. Meanwhile, at center, Yanni Gord comes out of nowhere with 29.75 points, but only half of Kakupful divisions benefited since he isn't even rostered in half of leagues. All aboard for Transaction Junction. Zach Sanford benefited from a few big games to net himself the most moves this week with 16 teams adding him and 8 drops. Frank Vetrano's turn on the top line in Florida led to 19 ads without a drop, while Craig Smith and Nikita Gusev got dropped by 13 teams with only one pickup. Jesse Pugliarvi continues to be the highest paid player in the Kakupful with 248 in fab spent on him this year. Meanwhile, Pia Suter has extended his lead for most pickups with 62. Up next, it's who's rostered and who's not stirred. Frank Vetrano is rostered in almost all Kakupful divisions, but only 8% of regular Yahoo leagues, as managers have responded quickly to his promotion to the top line in Florida. Other highly rostered players in the Kakupful that aren't highly rostered in Yahoo include Pugliarvi, Mangiapane, Eberly, and Kempe. Let's check in with our Kakupful managers on the fast track. Doc Doc Gusev of Tier 2 Ottawa maintains his top spot, with just shy of 2,000 Kakupful points for the season. Tier 5 Melkers, seeing like a skate, is in second, 34 points back. I'm sitting in third, less than a point behind, and Tier 6 Rulers Lethbridge Wolves is in fourth, less than a point behind me. 
There's a little bit of separation from the pack as 5th place Dunkin' Donuts of Tier 6 Fila is almost 75 points back of the leader, but one high-scoring week from anyone can change things fast. Keep an eye on the daily updated standings on kakupful.com, and remember, winner gets automatic promotion to Tier 1 next year, so make sure to squeeze every last point out of your rosters. This week's Kakupful Performer of the Week is Kaparis' team of Tier 2 San Jose. 40 teams broke the 300-point barrier this week, but Kaparis' team led them with 351.05 points. Kaparis benefited from a midweek trade that included sending out Morgan Riley in exchange for Max Pacioretty. Before leaving his team, Riley contributed 15 points to the effort, while Pacioretty greeted his new team with a 14.5-point performance in his first game alone. A solid decor of Hedman, Petrie, and Ekblad was augmented by excellent performances from Kalorn and Boone Jenner up front. Surprisingly, one of his weakest performers this week was otherwise top player Dreisaitl. Great job, Kaparis' team. On this week's Statistically Unlikely, five teams remain unbeaten at 7-0. Filthy Animal from Tier 2 San Jose, Knife Town Toddlers from Tier 3 Binghamton, Robert's Unreal Team from Tier 4 Lungby, Blackout from Tier 6 Betten, and Frozen Tools from Tier 6 Pele. On the other hand, seven teams are at 0-7. While there are 10 teams that have accumulated more than 1,900 points so far this season, two teams have faced opponents who have totaled over 1,900 points against them. Brock and Roll sits at 2-5 and five in Tier 1, despite mustering 1,759.45 points themselves, having faced 1,901.45 points from their opponents. Worst off is Tier 4 Jokerits, AZ for Lottery, who's at 0-7, having faced a whopping 1,992.8 points. That's literally like facing fast-track leader Doc Doc Gusev every single week. Big shout-out to Modern Malkin in Frolunda Tier 3, who's been able to cobble together a 5-2 record, despite having faced over 1,869 points against. This week's highlighted matchup comes from Tier 6 Svante, where underpants gnomes went up against Saskatchewan Pioneers, with both sitting at 4-2 for the season. Saskatchewan Pioneers got out to an early lead thanks to a great 15-point performance by Mark Stone on Monday and a solid 9-point game from frequent waiver wire fodder Matt Murray. Tuesday brought things a bit closer as Saskatchewan's four-goalie strategy let him down thanks to a negative performance from UC Saros being slightly balanced out by Pecorine's positive performance in the same game. That's right, he was able to start both the starter and backup from the same team on the same night. A fairly even Wednesday was overshadowed by Underpants Gnomes Thursday, where he got a huge performance from Shesterkin, despite him not being able to complete the game, while Matt Murray's negative 5-point performance took some shine off his previous good play for Saskatchewan Pioneers. Goalies continued to play a big role on Saturday as Pecorine hurt Saskatchewan to the tune of negative 2.9 points, while Kemper's 9-point performance languished in his IR. Underpants Gnomes went into Saturday with a 17.7 point lead, but only 5 games to play to Saskatchewan's 10. Even worse, Klingberg didn't play due to personal reasons, and the rest of his team was only able to muster 11 points all day. Meanwhile, Saskatchewan slowly closes the gap, with Peugeot, Backstrom, Zaka, and Huberdeau all pointing, and then in the final game of the day, Matt Murray putting on another good performance and netting him 6.85 points. But what's this? Saskatchewan's four-goalie strategy comes back to bite him, as he's got Jari in the starting slot, but Jari doesn't start his game. Pekka Rene sits on the bench, 
and collects 8.25 points, which would have been enough to put Saskatchewan Pioneers over the top, but instead they lose the match by a soul-crushing 1.1 point. Weaponized cap space of Linus Tier 5 is still the top mover and shaker with 35 moves made this year, with abundance of pasta of Tier 3 Boris right behind at 34. Top big spenders this week include Caged Gorillas of Svante Tier 6 spending $22 on Igor Shosturkin, and Super Bowlers of Krister Tier 6 spending $20 on Carter Hart. No one has run out of fab yet, but Hornpain Bears is trying as they're down to $5. And that's it for this week's episode. Make sure to check out kakupful.com for more stats on players and teams. We'll be back next Monday to review the goings-on around the league. In the meantime, you can reach out to us on Discord, and we'll see you in week eight.